In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Let's guide our prayer by focusing our attention on three important people in the life of Jesus. Important people because they are Jesus's friends, people that he enjoys visiting, talking to, enjoying a meal with. He goes to spend time with them in order to rest, to get away, to be able to go back to his apostolic mission, recharged and energized because he has found in them that affection, warmth, and fun of friendship. And those three people are Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And in the different gospel accounts of Jesus' life, they appear in different moments and different events. But I'd like for us now to try to focus on the most dramatic of them all, Lazarus's death, the brother of Martha and Mary, as it's told to us in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. And it's a very complex story, and a lot of things are going on there, just at the level of events, also theologically as well. And I don't want us necessarily to read the whole passage, but it's enough for us to recall the central events. I'd like for us to see how each of those three characters, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, have something very important to reveal to us about how we should relate to Jesus. In other words, something important to reveal to us about our Christian life. The first is Martha. As John tells us in the story, Jesus is going with his disciples to the village where the three of them lived, and they hear of Lazarus's illness, very serious illness that he is about to die. Then they receive word of Lazarus's death, and as they're making their way there, word reaches Martha that Jesus is coming, he's on his way. And unsurprisingly, because we remember Martha is the woman of action, the doer, the driver, she leaves the house. She goes running out and she leaves behind her sister Mary, who stays put. And she runs out and she meets Jesus. And as soon as she sees him, the first thing that she does, and we need to understand this right, the first thing that she does is to complain. Well, more than complain, to almost chastise Jesus. She says to him in John's account, Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened. Her brother has just died. You just imagine the pain and the tragedy of that. The whole time, her and Mary were holding out that Jesus would come. They had known of Jesus' healing miracles. They had seen the signs themselves. As close friends of Jesus, Mary, excuse me, Martha comes to Jesus and with this wonderful expression 
of genuine friendship reveals to Jesus, look, I thought we expected more. Martha reveals that very sincerely she felt that she had a special claim on Jesus' attention. That he would have gone out of his way. That he would have gotten there on time. And in that remark, it's not just her complaining about, you know, just the death of her brother. But almost in a sense, and we don't want to stretch it too far, almost in a sense, she feels let down. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But she adds to that an element of hope. She doesn't give up, Martha. This is, this is a wonderful aspect too. My brother would not have died, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. That expression of faith combined with a prodding of Jesus. You can still do something. I don't know what it is, but you can still do something. So just considering this perspective of Martha, just as we in our prayer here before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament try to see our own life in the light of the gospel, do I have this kind of confidence with Jesus? We've been trying to pray very clearly and serenely about how we want to grow in faith and therefore in hope. This faith in Jesus' love for me. And we see in Martha's reaction one of the manifestations of having a faith like that, a hope like that. She felt that she had a special claim on Jesus. Do you feel the same? Do you have a special claim on his attention? And if not, why not? Because it's understandable if, if, if our understanding of this idea that God loves me is kind of generic, it's kind of ambiguous, well then I have to say, well yeah, he loves me, but he loves everyone else too. And there's, you know, billions of us in the world. And there was before the people living now, there was like thousands and thousands of years where people living. And so he loved all of those people too, I guess. So it's kind of, we get really deluded in that kind of experience. It somehow doesn't seem so special, you know. I don't know if you guys remember Gary Larson cartoons, The Far Side. He's one of the comic geniuses of the 1990s. And I remember one of his cartoons, he had this sketch of all of this whole sea of penguins that were on like kind of a, an Arctic thing. You know, all these penguins were there, all of them looking absolutely identical, except in the middle of them, there was one who was kind of jumping in the air and he was singing, I just want to be me. <laughs> You know, in the middle of all of these penguins, you know, kind of this cry for individuality, you know, you know just want to be me. Well, you know, if we, we might, if, if we're not growing in our faith and our hope, we might have this sense of oh, God loves me as a little bit kind of like the way, you know, that penguin in the middle of all these penguins, he loves everybody, gets deluded. Well, if that is the case, and I mention it just to maybe bring it to the fore, to make it rise to the top if it is there. To the degree that it is there, ask him now, Jesus, increase my faith. Increase my faith so that it might even 
to me feel like outright daring. That I believe you are actually paying attention to me. I have a claim on you. Not because I'm good, not because I'm flawless and really shiny example of holiness, but because you've made me a member of your family. I belong to you. And in a way that we really can't believe, it, in inverted commas, we have to understand this properly, theologically, but he belongs to me. I have a claim on him. And then there's the fact, I, I've already alluded to it before, that, that Martha complains, you know. She kind of almost tasks Jesus, why were you not here? In other words, in her relationship with Jesus, she just expresses herself as she is. Not as she thinks she should be, not according to what she already imagines the right answer is. And this is very important. It's very important that in our life of prayer, in our relationship with Jesus, we don't short-circuit it by already knowing in, in inverted commas the right answer. You know, well, I know I should be doing this, but X, Y, and Z are happening to me. Well, I already know, you know what we say of this in the Catholic Church and what the teaching is, but this is what I'm struggling with. Well, the problem with that is if we think we already know the answer before we even start praying, surprise, surprise, we're not really going to listen. I don't know if you've ever had the, the experience of speaking to someone, you're trying to talk to them about something, and as you're talking, you can see the wheels turning in their mind. They're already formulating the question before you finish speaking. If you've never had the experience, I can tell you it's a bit frustrating. Because <laughs> you just know that person is already offline. They're already, they're, they're already wrestling with, and they're not listening. They're already the question, how can I do this? Oh yeah, I know what that means. Just listen. Take it in on its own terms. And it's important because, you know, fine, it's depending on the degree of formation in our faith, we may at least intellectually know certain things about Jesus and how grace works and things about the moral life and the advice of the saints and how virtues are acquired and all of the rest. But I still don't know what God is asking of me today, now, in this particular circumstance. Grace hasn't shown it to me yet, the grace to deal with this reality now. In that sense, grace is open-ended. Grace is not kind of an adrenaline boost to help me get over a hump to arrive at a pre-established answer. Jesus is constantly saying to those, come, follow me. Be by my side, follow me, and let's discover what he is asking of us. We shouldn't short-circuit that grace by thinking that we already know what God is asking of us. We need to discover it in prayer. We need to discover it by that prayer that focuses our eyes on Jesus. And in that conversation that Martha has with Jesus, she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened. But even now I know if you want to, God will listen to you, she says. And Jesus, knowing exactly where he's going with all of this, says to Martha, 
he says, your brother will rise again. Now, Martha hears that and she thinks, ah, the teaching and the resurrection of the body. Right? Oh, he's going to be raised from the dead at the end of time when all of us will be raised from the dead. And she tells Jesus, yes, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, and let's let this scene happen visually before our eyes, Jesus looking her at her intently, saying, I am the resurrection in the life. Those who believe in me will not die. And then he says to her, do you believe this? What Mary's, excuse me, what Jesus is doing with Martha is trying to say, look, I don't want you to just believe in the general resurrection of the dead. Believe in me. The person in front of you, talking to you right now, is that resurrection. Jesus was trying to help Martha see in his very person the object in the center of her hope. And whenever you and I make an effort to pray, however muddled that effort might be, however we might be struggling against tiredness or distraction, as long as that effort is sincere, Jesus, in one way or another, is trying to say, I am the resurrection, I am your hope, I am your life. Do you believe this? Look at me. Don't look at yourself. Don't wallow in the experience of your own misery and failure. Don't worry if you're getting it right or doing the right thing. Look at me. Focus on me. And from there, you will find resolution. You believe in me more than in what you feel you can do. That's the kind of hope we want to strengthen in ourselves. That's the kind of hope that Jesus was awakening in Martha. So Martha turns around and she runs back to the house and she runs back where Mary is still there and she goes in and St. John says, nice little detail that Martha goes up and whispers, says to Mary privately, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. So Mary jumps up and she goes running towards Jesus was and the other people who were there, they didn't know where Mary was going because they didn't hear what Martha said. So they think that she's running out to the grave uh, to cry over Lazarus. So they go after her, family members, cousins, neighbors, the usual kind of country funeral scene. They all go after her thinking that she's kind of going to have a moment of a hysterical fit out there by the tomb. But when they make it there, they find that Jesus is there and that Mary is talking to her. But when Mary gets before Jesus, she repeats the same complaint that Martha made. Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened. But what's interesting with Mary is that she doesn't follow it up with a request. She doesn't insinuate anything to Jesus. She just says that to Jesus, the same confidence the same claim of friendship. She says it, and then she just begins to weep. She just stands in front of Jesus and starts crying. 
which is another expression of this wonderful confidence, this simplicity. She starts weeping in front of Jesus, and then John tells us in his gospel, Jesus does the same. He tells us when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. Jesus, who knew that he was going to bring Lazarus back to life, he wasn't weeping out of despair. He was weeping out of pure compassion. And he was, that compassion was his response to Mary's sincere prayer. Sometimes in our prayer, we feel, or we can, we can feel, or we can be tempted to think that, well, I need to fix myself first. Maybe we've been upset by something that's happened in a relationship, a difficulty in work or in our family, something horrible has happened, or maybe just we're kind of in an emotional knot because of all sorts of things that we can't even figure out ourselves. And sometimes the reaction to that turmoil, being upset, can be, well, let me, let me get myself sorted out and then I'll be in a better position to talk to Jesus. So in that sorting it out means let me think about it a lot and kind of worry and fret and maybe talk to other people and kind of, you know, I'll get myself fixed and then, then I can pray. Well, this very simple example from Mary is that that's the wrong way around. We don't sort ourselves and then turn to Jesus. Sometimes, whether it is exteriorly with tears, which is fine, or interiorly, we need to just turn to Jesus as Mary did and weep and say, Lord, here I am, a mess. I'm hurting, I'm confused. And part of me thinks that I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't be this way. I know the right answer. I know I should be happy and cheerful and at peace and all these other wonderful qualities, but I feel rotten. And I think it's my fault, and I think, but who cares? This is how I am. To just have the confidence that Mary had to be before Jesus and to weep. Now, in all of this, I, the goal isn't, you know, that we go around in some sort of emotional heap, you know, in our prayer and in our interior life. But yes, the goal is that we try to overcome a certain kind of, of callousness, a hardness that can settle in. A hardness that is kind of keeping life and other people at arm's length so that we don't suffer or get hurt or have any difficulty. Pope Francis has spoken about this quite a bit in many different occasions, about the importance of tears in our interior life. One of the specific things that he points to is why we need to experience the suffering and the misery of the heartache of other people and experience it in a way that we weep with them is because it's a very immediate way in which the Holy Spirit can pierce through 
that calloused heart, a callous that makes the heart insensitive to the suggestions and the promptings of grace in our soul. On one occasion, speaking precisely about Jesus' reaction to Mary weeping over the death of her brother, Jesus, excuse me, Pope Francis said, Jesus too knows what it means to weep for the loss of a loved one. In one of the most moving pages of the gospel, Jesus sees Mary weeping for the death of her brother Lazarus. And he weeps as well. Nor can he hold back his tears. He was deeply moved and began to weep. John the Evangelist, in describing this, wanted to show how much Jesus shared in the sadness and grief of his friends. Jesus also experienced in his own person the fear of suffering and death, disappointment and discouragement and the betrayal of Judas and Peter, and grief at the death of his friend Lazarus. If God could weep, then I too can weep, and the knowledge that he understands me. The tears of Jesus serve as an antidote to my indifference before the suffering of my brothers and sisters. His tears teach me to make my own the pain of others, to share in the discouragement and sufferings of those experiencing painful situations. You and I see a lot of pain and suffering. But a lot of times we see it on screens, mediated through YouTube videos, clips on whatever news portal we turn to, whatever you know, your news feed of preference is. We get a lot of input of horrible things happening, but we get it at two, three, four, five removes from what's actually happening. And we get immune to it. It ricochets off of us. And it can build up that insensitivity. And this is what Pope Francis is speaking to. We have to be able to, in the suffering and the difficulty of others, find Christ there. As Jesus said, what you did to the least, you have done unto me. And many times those least are not only in Syria and different other places in the world where there is just aching and pain crying out to heaven, but in the person who's right next to you at work. Maybe that member of your family who's harder to get along with or whoever it is, there's always going to be people in our lives who, again, it's not that we need to go up and start you know, crying when we see them, <laughs> but it's that, it's that interior availability, that openness. That's what we need to learn from Mary and from Jesus in his response to Mary. And then there's Lazarus. Lazarus is obviously the most passive of all in the scene, in the tomb, as he is dead. But Lazarus is brought back to life. And he's brought back to life. I, I, I won't go through the whole scene and the exchanges that go back and forth, but just to focus on Jesus' weeping over Lazarus' death. When Jesus is out there and he realizes that Lazarus is dead. He continues to weep, not just because Mary's crying, but because Lazarus, who is his friend, has died. 
And in that weeping over Lazarus, the people who are there are seeing what happens. They just remark, and John, the gospel writer, records it. They remark to one another, see how much he loved him. Now, we do very well to see in this reaction of Jesus to a dead Lazarus, Jesus' reaction to you and I when we sin. Were we ever to fall into serious sin, a sin that cuts us off from God and leads to a spiritual death, this is how Jesus reacts. He comes seeking to raise us back to life. And he does it in tears because he's not indifferent to that spiritual death. It matters to him. It matters to him so much that he was willing to go to the cross. He was willing to suffer without limit so that he could have you and I at his side for eternity. Jesus weeping over Lazarus and everyone saying, look how much he loved him. We need to pray about that. We need to pray about it so that we burn it into our memory, that it becomes a deep abiding conviction so that were it ever to be the case that we were to sin, to fall away from him, we remember. That Jesus is not far off and some sort of anger, you know, brushing us aside and moving on. He's there like he was for Lazarus, outside of that tomb of our isolation, our selfishness, our sensuality, whatever it may be, he's outside the darkness of that sin, waiting to bring us back to life with tears in his eyes because he doesn't want to be without us. And then St. John tells us that Jesus is outside of the tomb and he commands them to roll the stone back and then in a loud voice, he cries out, Lazarus, come out. And he continues to do that over and over and over in the sacrament of confession. Calling people by their name, back to life. Come out of the sin that has you as a tomb has a dead person, walled up, sealed away suffocating, removed from light and from life itself. So many times, not only in our own life, but in the lives of the people who are around us, Jesus is crying out to them, come out. It's important to notice as well, and it's a detail of the, of the story of Lazarus. So he, he does come out, but it's a, it's a fairly awkward coming out actually, because as he comes out, he's still bound, wrapped up by all of these bandages, which was part of the burial ritual. And on top of that, he has a cloth around his head. So he can't, you know, just imagine he's completely embalmed as Lazarus kind of, I don't know how he kind of shuffled his way out of the tomb in his effort to get out. So much so that once he's brought back to life, John tells us in his account, the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. 
It's true that only Jesus can forgive us of our sins. Just as only Jesus could cry out, Lazarus, come forth, come out, come back to life. But it's also true, just as Jesus said to those who were standing by, unbind him, unwind what is preventing him from moving and living life freely. He says as well to our friends, perhaps to a spiritual guide, to those people in the church who can help us and encourage us through their friendship and through their own experience. Once we are forgiven of our sins in the sacrament of confession, we need to unwind those bad habits that got us there in the first place. We need to take off that cloth of ignorance that is preventing us from seeing the truth of Jesus. And we take it off through learning, through reading, through an interest of allowing our minds and our hearts to be shaped in an ongoing way. Yes, we need to be forgiven. Yes, we need to be brought back to life in the sacrament of confession. But we also need those bad habits, that ignorance, that lack of understanding to be taken off of us. And the normal way that Jesus wants to do that is in the life of the church. There's so many resources that we have as well. Catechism of the Catholic Church, someone who has experience in the spiritual life, who can give us an advice, someone that we can talk to, all sorts of great resources on the internet as well. Maybe too many resources. <laughs> you can almost kind of go down a little Catholic uh, rabbit hole there of all sorts of things. You know? And it's not a question of piling podcasts on top of ourselves. But it is a question of finding one or two things that can help me practice patiently, working away at unraveling those habits of laziness, of self-centeredness, perhaps certain habits of sensuality and self-indulgence, whatever they may be. But in all of that, to not be surprised or disappointed by the fact that we have to struggle, have to make an effort. Don't be disappointed by that. Be encouraged by it. Because love is the ability to say yes to what matters, to the Christ who is at our side. And that struggle is just one more way of saying yes. As I try to overcome those former ways of thinking or maybe approaching my work or my dealings with other people in relationships, it may be not be easy. I may fall again. I may have to go back to confession. But that's all part of this wonderful process of being liberated so that I can live my life in the presence of Christ. Let's ask Mary, our mother, to intercede for us so that from these three intimate friends of Jesus, we can learn how to be sincere, how to have that confident faith in his love and attention for us, and to learn how to be forgiven and what being forgiven involves and that we undergo it with a great, great spirit of thanksgiving. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.